Hallelujah. Let's turn back over to John chapter 14 and we're going to go into this a little bit further. So when you're in a crisis situation, when Satan throws everything he's got at you, what's the very first thing you have to do? You have to grab control of those emotions. Let not your heart be troubled. The way you do that is you believe God instead of believing all of the negative things. And so anyway, that I could just talk on that forever. That is such a powerful truth. And here is the second thing. And you know, when I saw these passages of Scripture and the Lord began to start using this to minister to me, before I saw the progression here, this is exactly what I did with this man. The very first thing that Don and I did was go in and tell him, now don't panic, you start believing God, grab hold of your emotions and stuff. And then uh, to do that, you have to put things into perspective. This guy says, but I'm dying. It was really his wife that was more concerned about all of this than he was. But she says, he's dying. This is just like the end. It's total failure. And she was just facing what she saw to be total failure if this guy died. And so I didn't want to talk about him dying because I was believing that he was going to live. And I knew it was God's will for him to be healed. But finally, you know what we did about the second time we went over to see her? We said, all right, let's just sit down. What happens if he dies? I said, it is God's will for him to be well. But you need to consider this. You're just panicked about what he could die. And I said, what happens if he dies? I said, is he born again? Oh, yeah, he was born again. So is he baptized in the Holy Ghost? Holy Spirit, oh yeah, and he just loved the Lord. And we sat down and began to take some scriptures about eternity, about heaven, and what it was going to be like. And I said, you know what? If he wins, he wins. But if he loses, he wins. I said, he's going to win any way that he goes. And what I was doing by this was trying to put their fears to rest. They were so fearful that they wouldn't even contemplate what would happen if he doesn't receive his healing and what happens if he dies. They wouldn't even go there. And finally, I just made them confront their fears. And I said, so what happens if he dies? He goes to be with the Lord. I said, that's not bad. And you know what? It just began to start taking away this fear and this panic that they had in their life. And I believe that this is exactly what Jesus began to do right here. The very first thing he said is don't panic, believe. And then in verses 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So here he is telling them, don't panic, believe, and then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and receive you. He started talking about eternity, about heaven, about all of these promises of things that we have yet to see manifest. The world has never seen these mansions, but according to this promise right here, that's what he's been doing. You know, it only took him seven days to create the universe. Actually, six days. He rested on the seventh day. He's been working on our mansions for 2,000 years. Just imagine what those are going to be. <laughs> Amen. But anyway, this is his promise that he was going to do this. And you know, the reason I believe that he was doing this was to put everything into perspective. From the human standpoint, if all you are is carnal... If you're only looking at things from a human standpoint, if there's no faith involved, then you know when a person dies, that's just it. That's the ultimate defeat. Everything is over. But a Christian should never have that perspective. Never have that perspective. If you are facing death 
And you know, if you have a fear of death, you need to confront that fear. And, and one of the ways you do is just look at it. So what if you do die? You go right into the presence of the Lord. You're going to live forever on streets that are paved with gold. You're going to have a mansion. Your faith will be made sight. Matter of fact, if you get the right attitude, the Apostle Paul over in first uh, chapter of Philippians said that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, but it's more needful that I stay here for you. If you have the right attitude, did you know you can get to a place to where you are so excited about heaven that it's not a big deal? And when you take that fear of death away, when you recognize that all death is, is just a separation from this physical body. That's all it is. You know, it's just, I've heard people before say that this body is just like your earth suit. Like if you go into outer space, you have to have a space suit to be able to exist in that environment. Your soul and spirit has to have a physical body to exist and function on this earth. This is like an earth suit. It's like a coat or something that you put on. And when you take a coat off and put it somewhere, you know, it doesn't really affect you. That's just something that you wear. This body isn't the real me. This is just my earth suit. It's what I get around in. And when you die, all you're doing is stepping out of this earth suit and you're still going to be existing. You still are totally conscious. You're still totally functional. You're just going to exist in a different realm and you'll get a glorified body. You know, I was uh, listening to um, one of my programs not long ago. I forget where I heard this. But anyway, I was talking about this guy, John Taylor, who died during one of my meetings in Kansas City. And uh, this guy had a diabetic coma, and he, he was beginning to get uh, weak, and he walked out and, and passed out right outside of the doors. And they came in and interrupted my service and said, this guy, you know, is, is having trouble out here. Would you come out and pray for him? And I was right in the middle of preaching. And I said, nope, I'm going to keep preaching. And I sent the pastor out. I said, you go out and pray for him. And there were some of him, him and his ushers, they went out. Anyway, the guy was dead for 45 minutes and came back to life. And then the next night came back and gave his testimony. And it was awesome. But I told him, I said, that was the rudest thing anybody's ever done in one of my meetings. I said, you nearly ruined my meeting. How dare you do that? And he's been, he went on the 700 Club and gave his testimony. And when he first died, he says he, he just all of a sudden was hovering up at the top of the room. And he saw all of these people, his wife and the pastor and all these people around him talking to him. And then boom, he was in the presence of God. And he talked about how that... He didn't have to use words to communicate. He would just have a thought. He'd think, am I in heaven? And instantly he just knew the answer. And he would think something and instantly know the answer. And, and they just communicated spirit to spirit. But anyway, as John talked about this, he was just describing. He says that, you know, death is nothing. It's just like stepping out. If, if you had some clothes over here, it's like stepping out of those clothes and all of a sudden you're in other clothes. He says it doesn't affect you. He said he didn't feel anything. And uh, anyway, after he had this experience, he says, you know what? I'm not afraid of dying anymore. That's been 30-something years ago, and he did die again about five years ago when he was 70-something. But uh, anyway, he said he wasn't afraid of dying. Once you've done it, you know, you remove this fear. <laughs> I, talked to, uh, I talked to Peter, and I was talking to him about something. You know, he was going skydiving on... Um, Sunday, and we were out there watching him watch some of you crazy folks skydive, amen. And anyway, I was talking to him, and I said, you could kill yourself. And he says, I've already done that. He says, there's nothing to it. You know what? It just, I doesn't have any leverage with him once he's already died. It's just like, ah, oh, I've already done that. It's no big deal. 
But really, we have a fear of things when you just don't confront it. And I think that that's what the Lord is doing. He's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he talks about heaven. And what this does, it puts everything into perspective. And again, I believe that this is just a necessary step. When you have a crisis come, the first thing you do is not panic, start believing God, and then put it into perspective. One of the things that happens is it's like Satan puts blinders on us. And you get so focused on your individual problem that you forget all of the other things that God has done for you. You lose your perspective. I've actually had some people come up to me before so angry they were believing God for like $100 or something, you know. And they had been believing God for this and they didn't get their money when they wanted it. And they came up, I'm so angry if God doesn't come through, I'm going to do this and... You know, I remember this one person, they were healed of an incurable disease. They were saved out of a terrible lifestyle. God had done miracle after miracle. He had repaired their marriage. I mean, great things had happened. And yet, because they had this one problem, they had prayed. They didn't get the money they needed. They were ready to renounce the Lord, walk away from it all. And you know what? I just mean the spirit of slap wanted to come all over me. And I wanted to grab this guy and say, don't you remember this? And I started reminding him of all God had done. And by just putting things into perspective and letting him see that, you know, God has already overcome greater difficulty than than these in your life. Why would you throw away your faith in the Lord because of some little problem? You know, it just sobered him up and immediately uh, he saw things differently. You know, I was back here in the break room yesterday and I saw David Hill and he made that little thing about before. He had the before and after pictures and a little testimony. And I was asking him a few things about that. But just imagine, David has been safe from so many, I mean, miraculous things God has done in his life. And yet he has problems, I'm sure. I'm sure that there's times he doesn't feel exactly right. What if he just forgot that he's been saved out of a life of alcohol and he's been saved from all of these things, the miracles that God has done to provide for him getting here, the way that he's passed tests, the way that he got his GED, the way he's done all of these things. If you forget that stuff and then just get focused on, but I got a problem here today, this happened. I tell you what, it it changes your whole outlook when you put things into perspective. And yet some people, this is one of the Uh, ploys of the devil, he tries to get you focused on the one thing that's wrong. This is what he did with Adam and Eve. You know, I've used this logic with you before, but let's just say that there were 10,000 fruit trees in the Garden of Eden. He didn't come and says, has God said that you can only eat of 9,999 of these fruit trees? If he would have presented it in that light, the very Uh, way that it would have presented would have showed, you know what, who cares about this one? I got 9,999 fruit trees that God has given me. God is good. And you immediately would have just thought about the goodness of God. But he didn't do that. He took everything totally out of perspective, focused on the one thing in the universe that they were commanded not to do and focused on that. And it's just like he put blinders on. They lost sight of all the rest of the goodness of God and looked at the one thing that they didn't have. And see, this is what he tends to do with us. He tends to get you to where your perspective is all skewed. And you think, man, unless this happens, God is not a good God. Nothing has ever worked. Man, you've got to resist that. And one of the ways that you do this, and I've got other teachings that go along with this, but you know, your memory is one of the most important weapons that God has ever given you. 
The Bible says three times in 2 Peter, Peter says, I stir up you by your pure minds by way of remembrance. Memory is a way of stirring you up. You, this is the reason that the Bible said that you need to make landmarks. You need to have these uh, places where you know you remember the goodness of God. You need to consciously make an effort to remember. Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. The reason the Lord told you not to forget is because it is our tendency to forget. And if you don't watch it, you'll get up every morning and it's like you're starting from scratch. And you forget all of the goodness of God. But you know, if you, if you remember, if you think about the goodness of God, if you put things into perspective, then what happens is when you run into a hardship today and something is not going your way, you just think back about how good God has been, about how faithful He's been. You've got hundreds, thousands of examples, and it just puts everything into perspective, and you say, you know, I don't understand why things are going the way they're going right now, but I know God is a good God, and you just go to rehearsing all of these things. And what it does is shrink your problem down to a manageable size. Otherwise, if you get to just looking at something, you amplify this and make it too big. And so you need to put things into perspective. And one of the things that you, one of the ways that you do this is that if you can't see anything good in your existence, which I believe if you can't see anything good in your existence, the problem is with you. Because we're all blessed. But let's just say that something really was so bad in your life that you couldn't see anything positive in your existence. If every time you see light at the end of the tunnel, it's another train, then you know what you need to do? is just close your eyes and look at heaven. I mean, if worse comes to worse, if you never see your finances fixed in this life, if you never see your body healed, if your marriage never works, if you never gain acceptance, if it seems like everything goes against you, which I, again, believe that there's nobody that doesn't have somebody po- something positive in your life. But let's just say that you really did have such terrible situations, you can always close your eyes And dream of heaven. Take these verses and say, In my Father's house are many mansions. God is going to prepare a mansion for me. And He's going to receive me unto Himself, so that where He is, there I will be also. As it says over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that is a powerful scripture. You know, I remember when I went to Auschwitz and I walked through that death camp and I saw chairs and tables made out of human skin. And I saw all of these things and I walked through those brick, um, what do they call them, kilns, and where they had burnt the uh, people and there were still ashes in there. And I went through all that stuff. And you know, after I left there, I got to thinking, God, this is unbelievable how much people suffered. How in the world can something like this ever get set free? I mean, set right. How can these terrible things that have happened here on the earth, how can, how can people that have suffered and gone through this ever uh, be compensated for this? And the Lord led me to Romans 8, 18. The sufferings of this present world aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Because we're on this side and we only see with the physical realm. You see these terrible things and you just think, 
There's no way that these people could ever be compensated for how much they've suffered. But when we get on the other side and see the glory of God and see the acceptance and all of the good things, I guarantee you we will have the same uh, perspective that the Bible says. God is going to compensate us so much more than what we've ever suffered. All of the heartache and pain down here is going to be like nothing compared to the glory that's revealed in us. Man, that's awesome. And so if you were to go to thinking about that, and let's say, for instance, you're struggling with some kind of a sickness, and you've got problems, and you've got pain, and you've got all these things, but you know what? In eternity, if nothing else, if you couldn't believe God and get positive and start rejoicing because of anything in the natural, then you can close your eyes and think about that someday there's not going to be any more sorrow No more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. Everything is going to be perfect. Start thinking about heaven and that'll cause you to rejoice. That'll cause you to get into faith and that'll cause you to get out of that unbelief and out of that negativism. I believe that God wants you to to prosper here in this life. But if you never saw prosperity, you can close your eyes and think about what it's going to be like living with God, living in the new Jerusalem, in perfection, you know, one of the things that we do when people have somebody die and, and uh, they write into us, we've got this little book that we send out called Intramuros. And it's Ruth Springer's uh, vision of heaven. She had it in the 1850s, I think it was. She wrote this book in the 1890s. And it was right after the Civil War and so many people had suffered. You know, I mean, there was massive loss of life and, and uh, damage to people through that. And people were really struggling with uh, all of the death that had gone on in our nation. And so she published this book about her dream of heaven. And I tell you what, it's awesome. First time I ever read that book, I was just going to read a little bit of it. Somebody gave it to me after a service. I wound up staying staying up all night long and reading that book. And for about a month afterwards, man, I wanted to go to heaven. I mean, I was ready to go to heaven. I was ready to check out of here. I couldn't stay on this earth. And I had to grab hold of my emotions and start controlling them because I was, I was leaving. I tell you, it made heaven so wonderful. And it was just her vision of heaven. She was only dead for about three minutes in reality, but in her experience, she spent three years in heaven. And she talked about what it was like and the trips that she went on. And I mean, it was just awesome. And I came home, had it in my uh, suitcase, and I just dropped off my stuff and went to the office And when I got home, Jamie was sitting in a chair just staring out the window, and she was the same way. Both of us were just nearly gone for a month. I mean, it it was powerful. And so we give that book to people when somebody dies because, you know what, heaven is such an awesome place that if you could even get a glimpse of it, it's like the Apostle Paul said, man, I long to be with the Lord. And yet we get so carnal down here that we just get focused on the physical, natural realm. And if somebody dies, we just think, oh, it's the ultimate defeat. Man, if you are in the Lord, even if you die, you win. It's not that big of a deal. And you need to put things into perspective. I believe that that's the reason that the Lord brought this up. Right after He said, let not your heart be troubled, believe. Then He turns around and starts talking about heaven and saying, guys... You've got it all wrong. It's not like, you know, I'm going to die and be tormented in hell. But instead, he was going to his father. And he just put things into perspective, showing them that death isn't that big of a deal. When it came to raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. 
And you know, I believe that the reason he used the word sleep is because of the connotations that death has with it. And people are fearful of that. But for the believer, sleep is a lot more accurate. That's, I mean, it's just like going to sleep. It's like closing your eyes and going to sleep. You just step out of this body and step into another realm. You need to put all of this into perspective. And then over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I know I've used this with you before, but it applies. It's good. So let me just use this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the first part of the chapter, he talks about how that the apostles seem like they suffer more than anybody else. In verse 16, he said, uh, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This is Paul making reference to the fact that he had problems like anybody else. His outward man was perishing, not only in the fact that he was growing older, but you know, he was being beaten and he was having things happen to him. He was having troubles in the flesh. But then in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction... And I've made this point before, but I still think this is one of the greatest truths that I've ever seen. If Paul, who he listed his light afflictions over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm not going to take time to turn over there and read it, but he talked about being beaten with rods, beaten with whips, uh, stoned to death, left for dead, shipwrecked, in prison, hunger, thirst, nakedness, all of these things that came against him. The Apostle Paul suffered more hardships than any person in here has ever suffered. And he says it's just a light affliction. If the Apostle Paul could call his affliction light and it was more numerous and greater than yours, then how in the world can you justify talking about your terrible affliction, your heavy burden and all of this stuff? Here's one of the great truths that I've learned is that it's not what happens in the physical realm it's how you perceive it. You place value on everything that happens to you. And there are some of you that make a mountain out of a molehill. That something happens and it just is terrible to you. And yet it's not that big of a deal. It's because you have so much value. You've become codependent. You have to have this person's approval, this person's recognition. You have to succeed. You have to win and be the best salesman or whatever. You're the one that plays value on that. And the truth is, it's just not that important. One of the reasons the Apostle Paul was able to say it was only a light affliction, he gives two reasons right here. He says it's a light affliction which is but for a moment. Man, that's powerful. You know, I've talked to people before who says, I've been praying for my husband for 20 years and he's a reprobate. Nothing's ever changed. And they just look at this and talk about how terrible and they think, what a terrible thing. Well, it's terrible from this perspective if you're looking at things carnally and thinking you're only going to live 70 years or something in 20 or 30 or 40 of those years. It's been miserable with this reprobate you're living with. But you know what? If you look at things in the light of eternity, a million years from now, that marriage is not going to be that big of a deal. You put it into its right perspective. If you look at it and think it's just for a moment, 70 years on the earth, it's not that big of a deal. Amen. Some of y'all are looking at me like, man, it is a big deal. Again, from our perspective, from a finite perspective, but if you could just start thinking, and this is what the Lord was trying to get them to do, was to put things into perspective. Realize that, man, there's an eternity out there. He's building mansions for us. We're going to live much more in eternity than what we live here on this earth. When you look at things that way, it just changes your evaluation. 
Also, some of the things that you are really committed to, like you got your favorite movies, you got your favorite show, you got this, you got to do, you got all of these hobbies, you got all of these things. You ought to balance all of this stuff up against eternity. Is this thing that is so important for you and that, boy, you're going to have an argument with your mate over because you want to go do this so badly. How's that going to affect eternity? Man, you got to go watch the football game and so you have a fight because your mate wants to go do something else. You're arguing over something that next week you won't remember who won the game. It's not that big of a deal. How are all these things fitting into eternity? See, this is what I was saying earlier that, you know, Roller coaster rides and things that drop and things that spin and all this kind of stuff. Man, that just doesn't compete very well with seeing people's lives change for eternity and the dead raised and the blind eyes open. You know what? It just spoils your perspective after a while. It gets to where none of those things are really exciting. You get to where you start thinking about eternity, put things into perspective, and it'll just shrink your problem down. Oh, you got cancer. No big deal, amen. Man, lots of people have been healed of cancer, and you know what? You can be healed, and if you don't get healed, it'll be over soon. You'll be with the Lord. It's no big deal. It's not important. You know what? You live a life like that, and it just it makes you like Teflon. It's just hard to, for the devil to get anything to stick on you. Amen? How do you make a person that doesn't worry about anything? They're only thinking about eternity. How do you take a person like the Apostle Paul who walked into town and they said, we're going to kill you if you don't quit preaching the gospel. He says, oh, wonderful man, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I've been in a straight between two. And they said, well, then we'll let you live. And he says, wonderful, for me to live is Christ. He says, I'll just preach the gospel. Well, we're going to beat you and we're going to put you in the stocks and throw you in the dungeon. And so at midnight, he starts singing and praising God. And he gets the whole jail saved. How do you deal with people like that? Man, I guarantee you the devil, how do you just, how do you get to a person who is just focused on God and everything's in the light of eternity? You know, I had one of our Bible college students, this guy had some serious problems, he wasn't typical, but this guy came to me one Monday and he was just crying and burst into my office and I said, what's wrong now? Because there was always something wrong with this guy. And he started telling me this story that he went to church on Sunday and the two women in front of him were talking and whispering and laughing and talking back and forth and distracted him. And the devil just stole the word from him and he was crying because he wasn't able to hear the word and the devil just beat him and he he just had a terrible Sunday. And I had just gotten off the phone with a friend of mine who had had his wife of 50 years die and I'd heard about it and I called just to say that I was praying for him. And he says, oh, it's wonderful. She's with the Lord. We had a wonderful life. He was just praising God. and He was victorious. He lost his companion of 50 years and he was rejoicing. And here's a guy who was crying because two women talked in front of him. I tell you what, I just wanted to drop kick him right out the door and tell him, man, what's wrong with you? You know what? If you put things into perspective, if you just came from a nursing home where people are struggling and, man, they're fighting all of these things. You know what? It'll make your problems shrink down to where, you know, this isn't such a big thing. Your feet may be hurting you. What you need to do is go talk to somebody who doesn't have any feet. And you know what? You'll say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I can even feel the pain. Thank you that I still got my feet. You need to put things into perspective, and that's what the Lord was doing. So... 
Paul here says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Boy, if you just look at things in the light of eternity, it shrinks your problems down. I know that I've used this example, but I'm going to use it again. About the woman in Charlotte that, you know, was going to, uh, tried to commit suicide. I went and spoke and she came back and uh, said that she was going through like her fourth divorce and wanted me to pray for her that she wouldn't get a divorce. And I said, now you aren't a Christian and you know you aren't a Christian. If you were to die right now, you'd go to hell. And she says, that's correct. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she said, that's right. And I said, lady, did you realize that a million years from today... When you've lived in hell for a million years, you won't give a rip whether you were ever married or not. Who cares about your marriage? You need to put priority on getting saved. And anyway, this woman prayed with me and got saved. And then we prayed about her marriage. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about marriage, but I'm saying that, you know what, it doesn't matter what your situation is. It's just for a moment. It doesn't matter if you're in a terrible marriage. It's just for a moment. You can go to rejoicing in the fact that in heaven they don't marry, nor are given in marriage. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Go to praising God for that. If your mate divorces you, you can sit there and say, Thank you, Father, that you said you've engraven me upon the palms of your hand. A mother may forget her sucking child, but you will never forget me. Thank you, Jesus, that you'll never divorce me. And you could praise God right through the midst of a divorce. You can praise God right through the midst of sickness. If you put everything into its proper context. Amen? That's a wonderful way to live. So this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's the second key about how you just make it a light affliction, and that is it's your focus. What are you focused on? All of these things really are interrelated. But are you focused on the negative things that have happened, or are you focused on what God has said? If you're looking at the eternal, spiritual things, then you know what? Those things are eternal. Anything that you can see is subject to change. If a test can prove that you've got something, then that's subject to change because it's temporal. It's temporary. It can be seen. But the things which cannot be seen, the promises of God, the spiritual truths and reality, those things are eternal. It's the spiritual realm that created this physical realm. And so the spiritual realm is the parent force. It's the greater force. The physical realm has to bow its knee to the spiritual realm. And if you could just be focused on that and see these intangibles, see who you are in Christ, see that you are the one with the authority. And if you could look at things from a spiritual perspective, I guarantee you, again, it'll just shrink your problem down to where it's just a minor thing. It's just a light thing. It's not a big deal. And again, I think that that's the reason that the Lord brought all of this up when He was talking to His disciples, is to just put things into eternity. You know, if His disciples would have been conscious, thinking about heaven, and thinking about Jesus going to be with the Father, and all of these things then instead of this fear and all of these things, they would have been focused on the Lord. They would have been rejoicing that finally He was with the Father. Even if they didn't understand the resurrection, which they should have, but if they didn't understand the resurrection, at least they could have taken comfort in the fact that, man, Jesus is finally with the Father. He talked about the Father. He prayed to the Father all night long. 
the one that he loved. He was finally out of here. He wasn't suffering the rejection of people anymore. Here he is in the presence of his father. They could have been rejoicing with him if they would have been thinking about eternity. Amen? But again, we are carnal. We look at things from a carnal perspective. You've probably heard me talk about uh, some of these things, but I've, I've ministered at funerals before where people are just crying and bawling and squalling. Again, there is nothing wrong with you loving a person and when they die, you miss them. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with you having grief that just totally overwhelms you and destroys you and incapacitates you. I've seen some people totally destroyed by that and the scripture says that we shouldn't sorrow as others who have no hope. Out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, Jesus bore our sorrows and carried our grief. There's not anything wrong with loving a person and missing them, but there is something wrong with this grief that the world operates in. And sometimes at funerals, I've actually taken scriptures like these and talked about that, you know, really the reason you're grieving so much isn't for that person, but it's selfish. You're grieving over yourself. And you're only thinking about things in a time frame of here on the earth. You aren't thinking about eternity. You aren't spiritually minded. You're focused on physical things that you can see instead of the intangible things that you can't see. I had one of my employees that lost a little uh, daughter that was only one year old. He built a pond in his backyard and his daughter fell in and drowned. And so we went to the funeral home here in Colorado Springs and he didn't want a funeral service. He, he did have a viewing. And so we were standing there with him and with his wife. And people started coming by. And I mean hundreds and hundreds of people came by. And they were standing there just crying. And people would come through and they'd say things like, Oh, she'll never know what it's like to have her first birthday. She's going to miss her first birthday party. They were talking about that she's never going to know what it's like to get a tricycle, first day of school, first date, first kiss, graduation from school. They just talked about all the things that she was missing. And I mean, it was, it was sad. It was emotional. We were sitting there and uh, it was a hard time. And finally, these hundreds of people came through and they didn't leave. And they were just milling around. And so this guy came to me and he says, you know what, let's have a memorial service. And he says, would you do the memorial service? And so here was hundreds of people packed into this um, funeral home auditorium and I had virtually no time and I was supposed to say something that was going to help them. And you know what I basically told them? I said, you know, I heard you come through and talk about her missing her first birthday and first tricycle and first day of school, first kiss and all this stuff and she'd never know what it was like to have children and do all these things. And I just turned over to the scriptures uh, that the things that will be revealed to us are so wonderful that the things that we've suffered here in this earth have no comparison. It's not even worthy to be compared. And I said, she's in the presence of God. And basically, I began to tell people that, you know, your grief, your sorrow isn't for her. I can guarantee you, spending her first birthday with Jesus is going to be better than getting a cake. Amen. <laughs> And spending her life with Jesus is going to be better than the first day of school where people ridicule her and make fun of her and she gets rejected by somebody and all of the stuff that goes on between kids. I said, you know what? You aren't grieving for her. I said, there's nothing wrong with missing her and loving her, but I said, just recognize that what you are grieving over is that you aren't going to get to see the first birthday. You aren't going to get to see all of these things. 
And see, when you put it into the perspective of eternity, when you recognize that person that has gone on is in the presence of God, it changes the way you feel about things. It affects your emotions. It changes everything. And I believe, again, this is what Jesus was doing. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. And then he starts talking about heaven, letting them realize that, man, there's something after death. This isn't the end. I'm going to my Father. I'm going to start preparing a place, and I'm going to come back. This isn't the end of the story. And if they would have thought on these intangibles, if they would have done what the Apostle Paul said over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and have looked on the things that could not be seen, quit looking at the things that could be seen, but instead looked at the things that could not be seen. If they would have focused like that, I believe they could have had a shout, they could have been rejoicing, they could have been partying in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. I know some of you think, no way. Well, again, that's what Jesus said. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. And he ends that whole discourse in John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you shall have tribulations like tomorrow at noon. He could have said that. Or this morning, about three in the morning, when Peter was going to deny him and renounce that he had ever met him. He says, in the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He was telling this to them the night before his crucifixion. He was telling them, be of good cheer, rejoice, because I have overcome the world. If they would have been focused on those things, I believe they could have been rejoicing and having a party. And again, I'm reading between the lines. I can't guarantee you that this is what happened, but I I can guarantee you what most of us would have been thinking. If you would have been present and have seen Jesus crucified, what would you have been doing during the next three days? Probably the majority of us would have been reliving what we had seen. In our mind, you would have played this over a thousand times of seeing Jesus mocked, crucified, You would have seen the hurt and the pain. You would have looked around and seen the other people there. You would have have been looking at the things that could be seen. And if you look at the things that can be seen, then you know what's going to happen? Your emotions will follow what you think on. If you focus on the negative, the tragedy, the things that are going on, it's depressing. But if you focus on things that cannot be seen, if you look at the intangibles... If you go back and remind yourself of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and think about how faithful God has been and all that He's done, you know what? It puts things into perspective. When you look ahead and see what's promised you and focused on those kind of things, it just changes your whole outlook. It makes everything different. You know, I hired a banker one time to be a manager of our ministry. And this guy had managed millions of dollars. And when he came in and started running our ministry... He got really upset because, I mean, we would have a four or $5,000 profit one month, and next month we'd be 10000 in the hole. And you know what? When he ran the bank, they managed a lot of money, but they had guaranteed income. People were paying their mortgages and paying these deals, and if they didn't pay, you went after them. In the ministry, if your partners don't come through, you don't send them to a collection agency. You know what? You just believe God, and you go through it. And anyway, we were up and down like this, and... We had two or three months that we lost money in a row, and he came to me. And the first month, he says, boy, we were $10,000 in the hole. And um, he talked about it. Anyway, I just said, okay, and I didn't do anything about it. The next month, we were in the hole again. He came to me, and 
told me about it, and I didn't do anything. Finally, the third month, he says, you aren't getting it. He says, we are losing money. You are going in the wrong direction. And he just, uh, he panicked, and he, he felt like I wasn't getting the message. So finally, what I did, I set him down, and I said, you don't have the same perspective that I do. I said, you know, there was a time that our board was meeting, and they told me, he says, you're bankrupt. We're closing the ministry down. This was in our home. We were having a board meeting in our home. And they said, you're bankrupt. We're going to have to close the ministry down. We're shutting you down. And I said, well, I don't believe that's God's will. And they said, well, we've got, as the trustees, we've got to do what is physically responsible. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, we're going to make you do it. And we just came to an impasse. And so I said, well, let's pray. And so we just were praying and asking God for wisdom. And while we were praying... The phone rang, and my mother was on the phone. She's the one that opened the mail, and she says, we just got a check for $60,000. This is when our income was only like $20,000 a month. And you know what? That was a huge, huge check. And I mean, we went to rejoicing and praising God. And so being $10,000 behind was nothing compared to what I'd seen God already done. And I said, you know what? You're bothered about this. But I said, it's just not a big deal. I've seen God come through before, and because of it, it changed my perspective on the way I looked at things. This is one reason I really believe that God grows you in the ministry and doesn't just put you into a huge position of leadership because, you know what, you wouldn't have this perspective. I mean, right now we have to have over a million dollars a month to survive. If he would have put me in this kind of situation 20 years ago, you know what, he would have overwhelmed me. I couldn't have handled it. But now I've seen the Lord come through. I've seen things happen. It just isn't a problem. My perspective has changed. And that's what you need to do is when you come into a crisis situation, put it all into perspective. Go back and remember how faithful God has been. Rehearse your victories. Remind yourself. If you don't have personal victories, go to the Word. Find somebody else who God came through for. Go to somebody else. Hear testimonies and get built up and start building yourself up and put it into its right perspective and realize that you know what, you've seen bigger things than this happen before. And if you can't look back and find something that will build you up and edify you, then look forward. Look at heaven and think, you know, if worse comes to worse, this is only just for a short period of time. I'm not going to have to deal with this over 60 or 70 years maximum, amen. It's no big deal. And just put it all into perspective and go to thinking about the promises of God. And as you do this, what it does, it just shrinks these problems down to where they're all manageable. Amen? Your mind is like a set of binoculars that will either amplify or if you turn them around and look at, at the big end and out the small end, it'll shrink things depending on how you think about it. I don't know if that analogy helps you, but that really helps me. Your mind can either magnify, that's what the Bible says, magnify the Lord with me, you can't actually change the size of God at all. He is who He is regardless of what you think. But as far as your thinking goes, you can magnify God or you can shrink God. You can make your problems bigger than God. It just depends on what you're focused on. It depends on how you think about it. And so these are some of the things that I do. I immediately just put everything into perspective. You know, when people come to me, for something, one of the things I like to say is they'll, they'll tell me that I'm dying. The doctor says I've only got 24 hours to live. And I'll say, no problem. <laughs> and just that response shocks people because everybody else, 
oh, this is so bad. And you start feeling pity and sympathy and you get as depressed as they are. Did you know what that does? That just amplifies the problem. For somebody to say, no problem. Man, it just shocks people. And what it does, it begins to put it into perspective. If I've seen people healed of the things that they're coming and asking for, I'll tell them, I said, oh, I just saw somebody healed of this exact same thing. You know, one of the things I've done lately, I've ministered to a number of people with sugar diabetes, and I've used the testimony of this guy, Vern, who right here in this spot came to our meeting, and he had one of these things that you check your blood sugar level with, and his was 1,100 that day. 1,100, you're supposed to be dead. You should be in a coma. You shouldn't be alive. But his was 1,100. He showed it to me. I prayed with him and spoke over him, and he came back about six months later, and he had that same machine and it stored 45 days worth of readings and he just started clicking through and he showed me 1100 then it went down to like uh, 1050 and over 22 days he was down to 115 and that was normal he went ahead and checked it for the next six months and then threw it away that's been about three or four years ago now and uh, he's lost 160 pounds he doesn't take any insulin and see if somebody comes and talks to me about sugar diabetes I'll tell them that testimony you know why I'm trying to put it into perspective for them because all they're hearing is the perspective of the medical profession that there's nothing you can do it's incurable I heard an ad on TV the other day by uh, is it Marlo Thomas Danny Thomas's daughter and she was talking about children diabetes and they were just talking about how it's incurable. They, there's nothing that can be done. You have to learn to live with it. And I was yelling right back at the TV. <laughs> said, that is not true. I refuse to accept that perspective that there is nothing that can be done and you just have to learn how to live with it and manage it. And see, I put things into a different perspective. I go back and remind myself of all the people I've seen healed of these things. And it gives you a different perspective. And it makes it so that when the doctor says you're going to die, you say, well, bless his little pudding heart. He just doesn't know any better, amen. I mean, he's, all, he's just educated his brain. His heart doesn't work. He doesn't understand spiritual things. And so you just give him some grace and say he's just an educated idiot. He doesn't know, Amen. The Word of God says something different, and then it gives you a different perspective on things than other people have. Amen? So that's what the Lord was talking about. So the first step is you have to don't panic, believe. Second step is put this into perspective. Look at it. Don't get it out of perspective. Don't amplify it. Don't make it bigger than it is. You know, that happens a lot. Satan blows things out of perspective. You need to keep a cool head. Don't get, Don't panic. Put things into perspective. Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.